You're listening to WNYU 89.1 FM New York and online everywhere at WNYU.org. The university only seems to pay attention when all eyes are on them. We have been asking university administration for comment. We spoke to two New York City teachers that would run through some of Brooklyn's lowest income areas. Here at New York University, students who continue to fight to hold the university accountable. On WNYU. 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 This is The Rundown. Today is Wednesday, May 5th. I'm your host, Izzy McMahon, and this is The Rundown. We have a great show for you tonight. To start off, Perry Gregory interviewed Jen Yu. DJ of Venice Lockjaw on WNYU. Hi, I'm Jen. I'm a net DJ at WNYU. I host Venice Lockjaw. That's the international post-punk show. In 2018, I heard Interpol for the first time. Everything after that has been me trying to chase that high. You can make an argument that like modern post-punk is about more the aesthetics than the sound. The, the buzzwords everyone makes fun of are like dark, angular, moody. And I feel like you get a lot more interesting um, post-punk, especially when it's like more divorced from its influences like across the world, like group Doe, who the collaborated with Shavu, like from Africa, who weren't explicitly making post-punk, but it ended up being like categorized as dance punk and being marketed as such. And like a lot of the noise rock bands in Japan. Um, and I think it's just a really cool way to like arrive accidentally, I guess, performing the aesthetics, not so much as the history. I love a lot of Chinese post-punk bands. It's really more of a, much more insular. You can say, okay, you got that from High Person for 2018, you got that from Retross in 2017, and it's just, you can see much more, like, a more interesting progression of the sound, I feel like, um, and that's why I think I wanted to pitch more, like, any non-British post-punk, because, like, there's so much here to offer, and it's so good, and no one, like, looks for it. I'm Jen Yu, and I host Venice Lockjaw on Saturdays at 9pm on WNYU 89.1 FM. Last week marked the end of the Gallatin Arts Festival. The virtual festival celebrates student art created from the past year. It featured art from student musicians, writers, actors, directors, and dancers. Aria Young has more on the story. Gallatin Arts Festival 2021 ended last Friday. The three-week virtual festival was a celebration of art created in and in response to the past year. The festival features student work in the visual and performing arts and displays the unique interdisciplinary artistry of Gallatin students. The festival is primarily run by a team of student leaders every year. This year's performing arts producer, Caroline Meredith, talks about the organization of the festival. One of our main goals early on was to make the application process as easy as possible, considering this year is already so difficult and we wanted to make sure that we got applicants and that it wasn't too overwhelming. I know it can be a lot to apply to these things. So we were way more loose with our applications. We were really excited and pleasantly surprised with the amount of submissions we got. Meredith also speaks about her takeaway of the event. I think a highlight of the festival this year for me was as a producer, I got to work closely with other Gallatin students and I don't have any in-person classes. So just to have that community still when everyone is so isolated was really nice. Of course, for the people who submitted work, everyone had actors in their pieces or fellow dancers, fellow performers. I hope that that brought people together. And then watching the live stream, the nights of the performances, it felt very, there was a lot of camaraderie in the Gallatin community. 
For Gallatin student artists, the festival is a learning experience that emphasizes collaborative innovation and multidisciplinary ideas. Artists Sofia Lopez Arandondo and Eloise Wong presented their play Like Treason during week one of the festival. They talked to me about what the Gallatin Arts Festival means to them. It's just nice to see the school and uh, the administration from Gallatin acknowledging us and our original productions. As a first year student, I'm taking away the fact that I am part of a community of incredibly talented individuals who over the last couple weeks have had their work presented alongside mine and that honors me so much and just excites me knowing that I'm going to be part of this community for the next three years and that I'll be able to create work in spaces such as Gallatin Arts Festival. You can find the archive of the festival on the Gallatin Gallery's website. For the rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Aria Young. In a few weeks, indoor dining will be back to 50% capacity. Cuomo is also passing legislation like the Protect Our Small Business Act to support small businesses that had to close their in-person operations any time from the last year. So how have restaurants coped? Well, a new app called Too Good To Go is fighting food waste and also helping small businesses stay afloat. Nia Watson has more on the story. For the rundown on 89.1 FM, this is Nia Watson. It's 7 p.m. and you're hungry. You don't want food from any of the dining halls, so you scroll through some of your favorite food delivery and takeout apps. Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, or maybe Too Good To Go. I spoke with Too Good To Go's U.S. Head of Marketing, Claire Oliverson, about this new food waste combating app. So Too Good To Go was created about five years ago, actually in Copenhagen. We're an EU-based company, and it's really to solve this massive issue of food waste. Globally, a third of all food is wasted, which is absolutely mind-blowing. And in the U.S., it's actually higher. It's 40% of all food that we produce. How does the app work exactly? If you're in a city where we operate, we currently operate in New York, Boston, Philadelphia, DC. We're rapidly expanding throughout the US, um, but that's where we are today. And you just check out the little map feature and you can start to browse in your area of different restaurants, grocery stores, anywhere that really has food that they sell on a daily basis. Check out what's in your area and you can go pick up food that would otherwise be thrown away that same day. The whole concept is based on a surprise bag. And so when you reserve from your, let's say your local pizza shop, what you're reserving is a bag. You'll get it for a third of the price. And we say each bag is like picking up one meal. Food waste is the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases after the US and China. And so knowing that our goal is really to be operational in as many areas as we possibly can in order to make as large of an impact as we can. But there's really a feeling when you go and pick up a surprise bag of knowing that you're rescuing food that would have just been thrown in the trash. It makes you feel a little bit lighter. It makes you feel a little bit happier. Um, You know you've done a good deed. Um, And I think it's lovely because then at the end of the day, you get to go eat that delicious pizza or pastries or sushi or what have you. 
Many students at NYU use the app for quick and easy food pickup. Ishadar, a first-year student, tried it with two pizza restaurants in the Greenwich Village area. And how would you rate your experience? Five stars, five out of five, because I like how you get to get restaurant food, but it's not as expensive. And plus you're like reducing waste. So honestly, I like it. And it's a good way to like try new restaurants without like spending a ton of money. And it's kind of fun because they give you like a mystery box and you don't really know what's in it. So it's like an adventure. Nothing's like gone bad. It's just leftovers. After meeting with a representative from the company and speaking with another student who tried the app, I knew there was only one thing left for me to do, try the app myself. Thank you. The experience was pleasant, fast, and convenient. I also felt the gratification of knowing that I saved good food that would have otherwise been thrown away. For The Rundown on 89.1 FM, this has been Nia Watson. More than a million New Yorkers have now received the second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. In the city, that's almost 90%. So the end is in sight. But for college students living with roommates, the anxiety and frustration of cohabitating with someone who has a different pandemic lifestyle is far from easy. Katherine Levinson talked to a student about their experience with their roommate during this pandemic. Last July, WNYU's own Kate Hines was moving into her cozy two-bedroom apartment on the Lower East Side. It was warm, it was summertime, we were both really excited to like have our own place, and this was both of our first apartments and it was really exciting. Her roommate, who will remain anonymous, met Kate in an NYU class in 2019. I figured that this person would be a good match just because we weren't best friends, but we were we were close enough to where I felt comfortable living with her. So we only lived together for less than six months before <laughs> things, things went awry. Being somewhat isolated together during the pandemic was far from easy especially since their lifestyles were so different. It, it was it was little like living problems that then led up to larger problems, like leaving the toilet unflushed all the time or leaving the fridge open. We started to have a problem where she was so like out of it that she she started leaving the stove on. Like as as her living conditions started to deteriorate, she was starting to bring like shady friends over and then I would like catch her doing really strong drugs in the apartment. A few months into living together, Kate was close to asking her roommate to move out. And then it all came to a startling end um, during the fi- during finals when her parents like gave me a call and said, there's a lot you don't know that's been going on and we're going to come and pick up our kid and take her to rehab. She was a heroin and a meth addict, and she was um, doing sex work for drug money. Oh, I was shocked. I mean, I had seen her do some hard stuff in our apartment, but I only knew a very small portion of what was going on, and um, I, I was actually pretty blind to the entirety of the situation. Like, I didn't know how serious it was. Kate had seen her roommate do hard drugs in the apartment, even though Kate had asked her not to at the beginning of their lease. 
Then Kate confronted her a second time. So the tension was there. It was, you could cut it like a knife because we just stopped speaking to each other towards the end. And then everything blew up. Kate had hung up the phone with her roommate's parents. While they made their way to New York, they asked Kate to keep a close eye on their daughter. They told Kate to call the police if her roommate left the apartment or if Kate felt scared. It was like a good two days that um, I was instructed to keep it a secret from her that her parents were coming into town. So I was having to lie to her to be like, hey, let's watch a movie. Don't go out. Do you want to stay in tonight? But it was all because her parents were asking me to try to keep an eye on her, which is not my job as her roommate. I was on pins and needles waiting for her family to show up. And then they did. My roommate thought I was the one that contacted her family about all of this, even though I had nothing to do with this. Um, So I was then the target of her rage, and she lashed out at me pretty bad over the phone and in person. And I actually at one point had to go live with a friend for a couple of days while her parents were giving her an intervention in our apartment. And the last time Kate saw her roommate, When I hugged her and wished her luck as she left our apartment with her suitcase to go to rehab, to fly down to another state in November. Kate no longer talks to this roommate. She's since blocked Kate on social media. And they left most of her stuff, pretty much all of her furniture here. And I am now currently a glorified storage unit and they are still paying rent and I live alone now. For Kate, no more roommates, ever. I hope it can't get any worse than this, but... (laughs) I, uh, I don't want to take that chance. For WNYU, I'm Katherine Liebenson. May is National Physical Fitness and Sports Month. Grace Symes talked to an NYU student about what health and fitness means to them. Please note that this piece contains some information about eating disorders. Health is definitely a passion of mine that I envision myself exploring forever. Maddie and King's passion for health and wellness has been a consistent theme in her life for years now. It's, it just really fulfills me, and um, I love learning about it. A current NYU student, King dedicates much of her free time to improving her own mental and physical health. But I love talking about it, like I am right now. King first became interested in health and wellness after dealing with an eating disorder that gave her an inaccurate view of what it meant to be healthy. So it, freshman year of high school, I... Um, I developed amenorrhea, which means that you lose, you stop menstruating, basically. And I lost a bunch of weight um, as a result of an eating disorder. So I've been without a period for about seven years now. And in the midst of my eating disorder, I kind of got a very convoluted idea of what health really meant. King is now at a normal weight and is focusing on being healthy in a new way by using nutrition, fitness, sleep, and joy to improve her well-being. Now my interest is more geared towards um, especially taking care of my brain as I age, like um, hedging against Alzheimer's and dementia when I get older. And it's also changed towards becoming like really strong emotionally and physically. King has now made weight training an important part of her routine. It's really increased my confidence and it's made me, I think, just a happier person in general, and I feel like so much more comfortable in my own skin as a result of that. But King says she does sometimes struggle to balance this passion for self-improvement with enjoying the everyday pleasures of life. That's also where the joy factor comes in. If we're going to a restaurant, instead of feeling, you know, intense guilt about having 
a delicious like dessert or whatever, like being able to live in the moment and actually enjoy the dessert. It's clear that health and wellness is a huge part of King's life. Unfortunately, her family and friends don't share her interests, but she isn't deterred. But that's kind of where my podcasts and the literature and the, that I consume comes in, because those people are just as enthusiastic. And if she can't share her thoughts on wellness with friends, the journalism major hopes to find an audience for her ideas elsewhere. I love The New Yorker. Um, like the apex of my dream would be to one day write for them. So if I could write for them on the health and wellness beat, that would be amazing. King wants to use her writing for the greater good and turn her passion for wellness into something more than a hobby. And so I would like to kind of generate a more inclusive space where everyone is welcome as opposed to being like shamed. So I want to write in a way that kind of redefines that, that whole world. For NYU Journalism, I'm Grace Symes. That's all for tonight. Thank you for tuning into The Rundown on 89.1 FM. You can find more about The Rundown on our Instagram at WNYU News. If you want to get in contact with The Rundown or send any tips, you can email associatenews at WNYU.org. This has been your host, Izzy McMahon, and stick around for new WNYU podcasts up next.